morning. So we're in week two of this series, Misquoted, Misunderstood. We're going to be looking at a passage today in Scripture that um, I think has been misquoted and misunderstood. When I was 24 years old and I was a brand new shiny Christian, uh, I was like six months maybe a Christian, um, I was asked to chaperone a summer trip to a place called the Boundary Waters, which is way up north in between Minnesota and Canada, Minnesota. Anyway, so way up there, and, um, and it's an intense, anyone know about Boundary Waters? Anyone ever heard of it? Some, no? Okay, nobody. So I can just make something up. Oh, one, okay. Sue knows, I can't lie now. But anyway, where you go up there, it's, it's, into, it's wilderness, and uh, you have to pack everything in. You pack in your food, you pack in your tents, you pack in your clothing, and you go on with your canoes, and it's like a, it's, it, because it's a, a, like a, it's like a protected area. You can never have more than 20 people together at one time. You have to keep a certain distance from other groups. I mean, it's intense. And you go up there, and that we no cell phones, because there really wasn't cell phones yet, so you didn't want to do like bag phones or anything. So, but there's no cell coverage, and you go up there, and there's bears. You would have to hoist your food pack up into the tree at night to keep bears from coming. One night, we, I, would, I was talking to the girls sitting around a campfire, and a bear comes like walking through the camp, and you're supposed to like, you know, make noise and do everything. Thing. I'm like, girls, quick, get your cameras. You know, it's like, oh, and, and, and then he just sauntered on by. But it, it was intense. And there's this thing you have to do when you go on the Boundary Waters, um, when you do any kind of canoe stuff or, I don't know, outdoorsiness, there's this word called portage. Anyone know what a portage is? That's when you come to, you've been in the water and you come to the dry area. Got my, got my Eagle Scout over there nodding his head. Um, and you have to like, you're like, well, the water's ended and there's water over there. How do I get my boat from here to there? Well, that's when you portage and you take your boat, your canoe, whatever you're in, and you go over dry land with everything you have. And so on this Boundary Waters trip, we would have to portage at least usually once a day. And about every three days, it was a more extensive portage where you might be going a mile, a mile and a half. And these canoes weigh about 100 pounds. And in each pack, if it's packed right, you there are like 40-pound packs, the major packs, not counting your own. Like one tent pack was about, about 40 with everything in it. And uh, each camp, each group I was in, there were 10 of us. And I was in charge of middle school girls who are not the brawniest of creatures. Now, they're tough, but... You know, and so usually every day when we would we would pair up and we would go to start rowing that day, we would be paired up with a boys group, and usually our middle school girls group would get to pair up with a guys high school group, and so that way when a portage came, we had muscle. Well, for whatever reason, on this one particular day on our boundary waters trip, we were not paired up that day. It just it didn't work out. There was always one group that didn't get a pair up, and we didn't get a pair up on this day, and we come to one of the longest portages. And so um, we're, we get there, and what I would usually do is I would take both the tent packs, a 40-pound pack, I'd put it on the front, and I'd put a 40-pound pack on the back, and I'd grab as many oars and stuff I could get, and I would go the first run. You're doing back and forth. And everyone's carrying other stuff, and, and then you got to do the canoe. And so as we're doing this portage, there's a point to this, as we're doing this portage, on this, it, it, even though it was really north, it was still really hot, it was the most difficult, about a mile and a half uphill, not flat terrain. It was the most difficult thing I had ever done. And not that I can prove it now, but I used to be an athlete, and I was a college athlete. And I used to, I mean, I, I was in shape. And, and so this, but this was grueling. 
It was so difficult. It was hard. And I'm in charge, so I'm trying to keep these middle school girls excited. And, I, and I'm going along. And at to this point in my life, I had, I had memorized five verses. I was a brand new Christian, remember? So I was like dumb enough to go on this trip is really what that means. Um, and so, and one of the five verses that I had memorized was Philippians 4.13. And so while I'm doing this portage and while I'm carrying these really heavy packs and going back and forth and trying to carry this canoe, I started to repeat over and over again Philippians 4.13. Some of you know it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I repeated it. There's different through Christ who strengthens me. And I would repeat it over and over again. It's like this mantra, just over and over again. It was just, just off my tongue. I can do all things. I can do all things. It was hard and difficult. And I just have to tell you, because I'm standing here today, you know that I made it through. <laughs> that I overcame. That I was a victor over the middle school girls. And over that 100-pound canoe and the 80-pound tent packs, and the food packs, and all that stuff, and I, 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 was, I, I won. I, I was the champion, and it was all because I quoted Philippians 4.13. And for a couple of years after that, I would tell the story of how because of that verse, I made it through with the heavy packs and the canoe on that portage up there in the Boundary Waters, Later on, several, several years later, as I started to understand my, my more of a call to ministry and I started to study more and read more and uh, preach more, um, one of the things I've learned to do is to look at context. Context is very important. Um, context is incredibly important because here's the thing, have you ever, has someone ever uh, missed context for me, maybe in a text message? You send a text message and they completely took it the wrong way because there was some context missing. Anyone ever happen? Have you ever been misquoted or misunderstood because the other person or perhaps you missed some context? This ever happened? Okay. Listen, just the other day, someone told me, they said, I heard Justin Crenshaw say that he loves the Florida Gators. <laughs> exactly. They missed the context. Here was the context. The whole thing was Justin Crenshaw said he loved the Florida Gators more than he loves the devil. That's what, and that was the context of it. So <laughs> He's still wondering. I don't know. <laughs> context is so very important. Speaking of the Gators, Tim Tebow. Um, this was in 2009. He graced the cover of Sports Illustrated with the now very famous eye black that says Philippians 4.13. A week after this, high school, middle school, and Pop Warner football players all over the country had Philippians 4.13 on their eye black at their games that following week. Um, it's a very, very popular, very, very popular, one of the most popular verses in Scripture that is quoted. Um, it's been, it, it's, it's one, of all, the, of all the 66 books in the Bible, this is one of the most quoted verses, John 3.16 being number one. Last year, Philippians 4.13 was, was tweeted about 613,000 times. So it's a very, it's a very popular verse. Um, and here's the deal, and here's why we're going to look at this today. Almost universally, Philippians 4.13 has become kind of a, a Christian pep talk 
for how to win, how to overcome physical adversity, how to uh, be the champion on on a, a field of sport, um, how to be the best you are, and then and then proclaim Jesus at the end when people want to talk to you because you were the winner. And this is what this verse almost universally has become in Christianity. Philippians 4.13, this is what it's become. And he has a close cousin, not Tebow, but, but Philippians 4.13 has a, a close cousin in uh, Romans 8.37, kind of gets the same treatment. And it's this, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Another one that people like to, like to quote and say is we're going to win. We're more than conquerors. We're going to be victorious today. And so like me on the Boundary Waters trip, there are so many folks who, going back to Philippians 4.13, who use this verse and do, think this idea of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I need the power to overcome physical adversity. There is an enemy. I am about to be in a contest and I want to win. So Philippians 4.13. And this is what people have done. And it's almost become, you know what a talisman is? It's almost become like this thing that people use and hold, kind of like He-Man's sword, you know? You know who He-Man is, right? Okay? He-Man has a sword, and that's what gives him his, you know, or, or Green Lantern, he's got a ring, right? Or Tim Tebow has eye black. And it's become this thing. And if I can just quote it, and if I can memorize it, and if I can just repeat it, then I'm going to win. I'm going to be victorious. We're going to come out on top. I can get through this trail that's really uneven because I'm carrying heavy stuff. And this is what we've turned it into. And one of the issues with this verse is that, is that so many people take this... Um, if you'll go back to, uh, yeah, the do all things. In Philippians 4.13, there's those three words that people have taken and kind of used it to mean a whole lot of things. Context is our friend, and we're going to look at context in a second. But I just want to make sure we all understand how much we've taken this verse out of context. Because we say things like, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you know what? You want that job promotion? You want you want you want to find your soulmate. Uh, you want to get more money. You want to be able to flip that giant tractor tire at your next workout. You want to be able to do that. Then you just quote Philippians four thirteen, and it will be yours, and you will be able to achieve it. And this is what we've done with this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here's the deal about context. We have misinterpreted this. We have misapplied this. And um, so let's look at the context. Paul is the writer of this verse. And um, when he wrote the, uh, this letter to the church in Philippi, the Philippian book that you and I read, he was actually in jail. Okay, so he was locked up. And he had been in there. I can't, I need to go back and look, but Paul did a few stints in, locked up. He, he was in there a couple of times. And he, so he wrote this one in jail. So this is context. He's in a prison cell, a first century prison, by the way. So I'm not thinking there was a whole lot of real concern about hygiene, um, concern for prisoners and those sorts of things. But So here's Paul in jail, and he is writing this letter to these uh, Christians in Philippi. And, and I want to go back a few verses, verses 11 and 12, to set up why Paul says what he says in verse 13. Here's the larger idea. 
He says this. Remember where he is. Where is he? He's in jail. Not that I was ever in need, in verse 11, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, because he's in jail, or with everything. He's, he's been in freedom. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, like jail. Whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And so Paul is, this is, he's setting this up. He's not telling Christians when we start to think about Philippians 4.13, he's not telling us that we should just be people who dream bigger dreams and set higher goals. And you set those goals and you quote this verse I'm about to tell you and you're gonna meet those dreams. You're gonna, you're gonna reach all those goals. You're gonna surpass all those goals. You write them down on your, your dream quest sheet that you have in your study and you, you write that out there and you put that on your wall and you just see it every day and you say Philippians 4.13 and it's gonna happen. That's not what Paul is saying. He's writing from a prison cell and he's saying, I've learned how to get along with nothing. I've had everything, and I've gotten along with that, and I've learned how to get along with nothing. Nothing. Like no air conditioning, mission, mission teamers. <laughs> I've learned how to not have to deal with things that I like. I've been without. This is what he says. This is the context. And so he's going here, he's saying, he's not saying, hey, go out and I want, you to, I want you to conquer the world. I want you to be the victors of the world because of Philippians 4.13, because of the Christ who strengthens you in that verse. This verse, if you really had to boil it down, is about contentment. It's not about winning. It's not even about overcoming. It's about being content in the things that happen in this life that you and I live. He's learned how to be content through Christ in the hard times, in the good times, with everything, with nothing. He can be content through Christ who gives him strength. See, this verse is not about winning. It's about knowing who Jesus Christ is and, being, and that being enough. Because you know what? We all have dreams. We have plans. We have stuff that we work for, good things. Not, not bad stuff, stuff that we're striving for, stuff that we hope will happen, that we really are, are working towards. And sometimes those dreams happen, and sometimes they don't. And Paul is saying in Philippians 4.13 is, you can be content in all things through Christ. God hasn't left you because suddenly your dreams were not fulfilled. This is what Paul is saying. This is what he's saying in Philippians 4.13, in this whole context. I mean, when you think about it, a lot of us, and I throw myself in here, I know I've been there, we have kind of boiled this idea down to God that, we, that he will give us strength to do whatever we set our minds to do. Well, I'm a Christian, and I've set my mind to do this, and so I'm going to work for that, and I'm going to quote Philippians 4.13 along the way. And God is going to give me the strength to make it happen. Listen, anytime your personal theology begins with God will give me, you might just want to step back. Because I think you might need to reassess what your theology is on God. Paul has learned to be content in all things. 
because of who Christ is in him. God is, when you think about it, he's not some like divine sugar daddy there to fuel these dream quests that we have. He is a sustainer for us when life is unsustainable. That's what he is. That is what he is. This is what Paul is saying. Not that you say this enough and you will win. No, he's saying when things are horrible, when things don't work, when you are in the dark prison cell, whether real or it just feels like it, God will strengthen you through Christ Jesus. In those things, he strengthens you. See, we have taken this verse and we have misquoted it and I believe we've misunderstood it. And I don't know about you, but I think this is actually good news because I don't need, I don't need a mantra to help me to win. I don't need that. I need a God. I'm thankful I have a God who hunkers down with me in the low places, in the hard places, in the places where you don't have everything you need, when you don't know what tomorrow holds, when your dreams suddenly feel like they've come to a screeching halt. That's what we need, isn't it? We don't need to win. We don't need a verse to repeat over and over again to, to get out the best, you know, workout of the day. You know, as many, as many reps as you can push out. Do we need a verse for that? Or do we need a God who is with us in all circumstances? He can be everything. We can be content in that. He is all things in our moments of weakness and difficult times. Speaking of context, go back to the verse if you would, Lauren. Who is this Christ that Paul is talking about here? As I was kind of structuring this message, I was like, okay, let's go back to Jesus. That's always a good thing, right? Let's go back to Jesus. Who is this Christ that Paul is talking about? Is this Christ like, Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, tan, you know, rocking a tank top to show off his biceps and triceps, Jesus. You know, all-American Jesus. You know, best-looking in the senior class, Jesus. Is this who Paul's talking about? Because that's kind of what we picture, isn't it? Maybe we kind of picture Tim Tebow. You know, but, but who is this Jesus? Who is this Christ that Paul is talking about? Because I think sometimes we want to say, I can do all things through really good-looking, really athletic, really strong, really popular Jesus Christ. Maybe I'm taking this a little too far, but I don't know if I am. Here's what Isaiah 53.2 says about this a little bit less all-American, a little bit less hunky Jesus. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. There was nothing about Jesus that said, oh wow, he's really handsome. I'm going to go talk to him. There's nothing where another guy said, man, I hope I, I need to work out like him. There was nothing about him that just drew people to them. And, and this is who Jesus is. This is, this is the Jesus. And so 
the Christ that Paul found strength in, he had no physical qualities about him that drew people to him. He had no social standing that said, man, he's the guy to know if you want to get a job. That, that's the fella. You want to get in good with the religious leaders? Go talk to Jesus. No. This is not who he was. He didn't have the physical stature. He didn't have the social standing. He certainly didn't have the economic qualities because he didn't have any economics. And he didn't have any of this. And, and, and that, that you and I esteem pretty much today, we have to say. So he wasn't much to look at. And his friends and his acquaintances were sketchy at best. This is the Jesus that Paul is talking about. This is the Jesus Paul is talking about. And he's saying that he can do all things through this Jesus who gives him strength. And so maybe it's just me, but follow my, my line of thinking here for a second. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around the idea of a Christ who had all of these less than stellar attributes and who identified with the poor and the unloved and the marginalized of society and always went out to places and did things that other people were like, really, I don't know if you should do that. This is, the, this is the Jesus Paul is talking about. So this is who he is. I have a hard time wrapping my head around this Jesus who would also be so ridiculously concerned with supernaturally revitalizing us to get as many, you know, reps and rounds as we can in our next workout. I just, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time connecting those dots. And what's happened is, is, is a verse like Philippians 4.13 is just turned into a slogan that's painted on a gym wall or put on a bookmark or eye black. And we say, I can win with this verse. I got it. I can overcome. Because the strength that Christ offers, it's actually found in our weakness. The strength Christ, Christ offers, it's found in our weakness. It's not found when we suddenly realize, wow, I really am strong. No, it's when we realize, I really am weak. I really am weak. It's found in, in our worst times. It's found when our heart is broken. Um, the strength Christ offers, it's found when we fail. It's found when we are regretting what we wish we had not done. It's found when we are sad. It's, it's found, the strength of Christ is found when our plans don't go the way we thought. This is where the strength of Christ is found. So I want to end with a verse that does talk about real strength and does talk about the real power of God. And it's this. And it begins in, in Ephesians, another book that Paul wrote and I want to start in chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. I want to give you some context. And listen to what Paul says. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. See, doesn't that just go up into the face of, I want to win? Doesn't that just, just kind of just push right up against that idea? You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
Now this sets up the context for the following passage. So I'm going to jump to chapter 3 now of Ephesians. And I want you to listen for some words that have to do with like strength and power. Beginning in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, he starts with this. When I think of all this, see this is why context is important. What's the all this? Well, it's what we just read in Ephesians chapter 2 is the all this. It's all the things that Christ has done. It's everything that Jesus has done, not us. It's about what Jesus has done. This is what Paul, this is the all this that that, uh, Paul is writing about. And he says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to flip a tractor tire. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. This is why he wants us to have power and strength, to know who he is, to understand May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's the power. That's the strength that Paul is talking about. Because he knows God in that prison cell, in that dark place. If he didn't know if he was going to walk out again, he had strength in God because of Christ Jesus. It wasn't so that he could win and come out and go, number one, champions. Philippians, state champions. He found the strength and the power in Jesus Christ. So here's where I want to just bring it in. Keep, keep your bookmarks that say Philippians 4.13. Keep them. If you've got your, you know, your magnets or your motivational posters, keep them. Look at them. It's good. But remember the context. Remember the context. The power that comes to you through Christ Jesus is so that you will understand. Paul says, it is almost too, too much for you to fully get now. But this is what God wants for us. Not so that we can win, but so we can know him better, know him more fully, be people who recognize him, that live for him, that love him. And then in turn, we love the world. And we love the world in times when they are not at their best. We love on people when they are at their lowest and their brokenness, when they're not their best when they're not number one. We love them that way because Jesus loves us that way. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I ask that, um, Lord, I just ask that our dependence would be on you. Um, That we would not depend on um, who we are, what we've achieved what we're striving for 
that we would quit putting so much stock in physical attributes and um, social standing, economic whatever. Lord, that we would be reminded of who your son, Jesus Christ, is. What he has done. How he came to set the world on, to, to completely rearrange it. To, quick, to completely flip it on its head. And to say, no, this is what life looks like. This is what hope looks like. This is what strength looks like. This is what power looks like. And it's nothing of what you've made it. World. Jesus came to change that and to change those definitions. And Lord, I just pray today that we would be willing to let you start to, if any of us have had a hard time with this, maybe we have been using you, maybe we've been using scripture to try to help us get some extra power. Like, it's, I don't know. Just to, to be more than what we thought we could be, but really not to give you the credit for ourselves. How would you help us to understand, like Paul does, that our strength is found in you and in you alone. And it's only in that that we're going to understand what real life is, what promise is, what hope is. If there's any sense of victory that's going to come, Father, it's going to come from us being fully alive in you. No other victory matters. So I just pray you help us, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.